You're listening to Violet Sessions. I'm Claire Patak, chef, cookbook author, and owner of Violet Cakes, the East London Bakery Cafe. In this, our 25th episode, I spoke to Alison Roman, cookbook author of Dining In and New York Times bestseller, Nothing Fancy. We recorded this one live from All Press Coffee Roastery, one of our favorite suppliers with whom we've been working for some eight years. In this pod, we touch on Allison's relaxed approach to having people over and cooking for them. But if you show up without that bag of ice, it's unforgivable. Her journey from California pastry chef to being the woman with New York City's most recognizable manicure. Check out her Instagram stories for the exact Essie shade. I hope you like it. Welcome to the 25th recording of Violet Sessions. It's kind of exciting. Um, this is a special one because we've taken a bit of a break. Um, it's been a really busy last year. Uh, and we are, I just, we, me. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to be back and doing it and super excited to have Alison Roman uh, here, who is now my best friend <laughs> from like sure. spending all day together. Um, and all of you are here because you know who she is, but just a little background that she's written two best-selling cookbooks, um, Dining In and The New Nothing Fancy, which uh, we have for sale as well if you don't have one and you want to get one. She's going to be signing books afterwards. Um, another really exciting thing about tonight is that we're here in All Press, and we've been working with All Press for, um, I think, almost eight years now. Uh, in 2012, we started using them. They've been an amazing partner for us because they um, not only take care of our machine, make sure that our machine is like really functioning properly, so we make like really delicious coffee. So it's not just like bakery coffee, which can be really bad. <laughs> um, but also, they're just great friends and partners, and they invited us to use their space tonight because our space at Violet is way too small. Um, and yeah, and it's also their 30th birthday this year. So oh, happy birthday, all press. <laughs> You've obviously been enjoying the cupcakes and anchovies. Um, <laughs> so these recipes, uh, aside from the cupcakes, are all from Allison's new book um, in the snacks section, which we'll get into later, but um, our favorite section. And uh, we also really want to thank Alex Woolport over there in the corner, who's been making the delicious gin and tonics. Um, East London Liquor Company. Um, is uh, responsible for this, uh, his business, and uh, their delicious London dry gin is what you're drinking. So, and then we have some uh, beer and wine over there too. Anyway, I'm sure you're liquored up by yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so welcome, Allison. Hi. Hi. Welcome, welcome Claire. <laughs> Thanks. To this place also. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, okay. The first thing I want to talk about is your aesthetic. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you have uh, um, I feel like you have a really unique aesthetic and unique sort of taste level and uh, <laughs> I'm curious if like how you kind of came to that because you've got like this really awesome sort of feminine not feminine vibe do you, yeah do you mean like aesthetic like what right outfit wise or like it's the in whole thing food it's the brand like, okay it's oh, the it whole is, thing. it so is a brand it is a brand okay <laughs> it is oh you're a definitely yeah. a brand <laughs> so it's you the red nails the lipstick i never see you in an apron which i love um but you also you know you're a professionally trained chef mm -hmm. um and you've created 
two really amazing books that just look very, very uh, new and different. And I'm just, yeah, (laughs) it's true. Um, I'm sort of curious about like how you come to that and how you created your style, how you cultivated it. Um, Yeah, well, I feel like it started with Dining In because that was sort of the first one. And I knew like that was really the the first opportunity I had to define my aesthetic and myself, um, which I hope continues to evolve. Like I think of Nothing Fancy as an evolution of it, but it still is familiar to it because in the you know year and a half between books it's not like I became a different person um but I think that it was sort of a direct response to just listening to what I found appealing visually and not just in cookbooks so like what kind of movies do I like what kind of art am I attracted to like what is my general like I love like neon jelly sandals like what how can I capture that and put it in a food photograph I don't know like taking stuff outside the context of what it means to just write a cookbook. And I think that it was a response because I was super bored by cookbooks. Um, I had come from working at magazines where we're inundated with them and we would get every cookbook that came out and they would come to our desk and I would just pick them up and be like, oh my God, I'm so bored or sad. Like they made me so sad. Like they're, they're all shot like in a basement against a black backdrop, like shot, like, you know, baked in a, cast iron from the 18th century and I'm like these poor people must be so sad they haven't seen the sun in 48 <laughs> days and like you know they're in a windowless room and oh my god what a, the horror and everything just felt so precious and I was like well that's not the world I live in or the world I want to live in so I kind of just wanted to create something that reflected how I lived and so how we shot both cookbooks and how I kind of shoot everything really is I just cooked like yeah. we like rented houses and shot in my own apartment. No and stylist. Yeah, we have a prop stylist who helps like source the things that we can put things on and make sure everything like is has a plate more expensive <laughs> looking than the things that I can afford. Um, <laughs> no, a lot of it's old. <laughs> um, but yeah, like food wise, I wanted it to be really representative of of the food that I'm actually cooking. So it was. And I think it. I mean, you've succeeded. Yeah, it's I great. think the whole thing is like a messy imperfection, which I carry through everything. Like, I feel like from Same. my, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's sort of, like, nice, but with, like, something's a little fucked up about it. Well, I was calling, my, what I was calling it earlier was it's, like, slightly off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I am definitely slightly off. <laughs> In yeah. the best possible way, though. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's very um, accessible and, you know, re- refreshing. Yeah, well, I think it yeah. just encourages people to remind themselves that they also don't have to be perfect and the thing that they do doesn't have to you know, match the other thing. Like, you know, nothing is, even if you are quote unquote professional. So speaking of that, you, you talk about, obviously this, this new book is about um, having people over, mm-hmm. not entertaining. No. <laughs> um, and when you have them over, you sort of talk a lot about getting them to kind of help out, pick parsley, mm-hmm. uh, give, give them a job, but you're slightly a control freak yeah slightly (laughs) Uh, mostly yeah so so how do you how do you let go so how do you make it fun for your guests but also um, get the job done and make them feel comfortable but you also are comfortable yeah I feel like with cooking especially a lot of times um, if I am having people over I will start before people get there so anything that I'm really worried about I will just take care of myself Mm -hmm. and the inviting people to help out and and sort of assist in the final execution is mostly out of desperation. I'm like, it's 9.30 and we still haven't eaten. Like, just chop the thing. I don't even care. Um, But I have learned to let go because I realized that the more stressed out I become when I ask people to do something and if I, my friends who are 
some are more skilled than others and the ones that are maybe less skilled yeah. if I ask them to slice an onion and I see that they're doing it wrong and I'm like oh um actually can you just like make it a little thinner they're gonna not have a good time and they're gonna feel bad <laughs> and then I'm gonna feel like a bummer because yeah. I've bummed them out and then yeah. everyone gets kind of like oh this is not that fun yeah um so I feel like is that really gonna ruin anyone else's night other than mine? And if the answer is no, then I just let it go and we all kind of make fun of that person's poor knife skills. But like, we laugh about it and then and then we have a better time than if I were to be like, oh, you know, I'll just I'll just do it. You know, like I don't need do to. Do you have like somebody that you always invite to like, like a kind of, you know, yeah, a well, glue for the room? Yeah. Like somebody who will like definitely, you know, either like help everybody feel relaxed or be like a great assistant sous chef? Well, I feel like similarly to you, oh. you probably have friends that are cooks mm -hmm. and friends that are not. And yes. that can either mean professionally or 100%. just spiritually. But I, my <laughs> friends that are cooks that, you know, are professionals or worked in kitchens still do. And when they come mm -hmm. over, it's no problem. And it's like a silent communication that we all have with one another because we trust you each other. You know what to do. Yeah, we know what to do. We've worked with one another. Yeah. And then there's the people that don't. And those are the people that are going to pick the leaves off the stem or like over there. Or like peel a thing. <laughs> or And they're probably still going to not do it how I would do it. But... It's a task that, even in the worst case scenario, won't ruin anyone's meal. Okay. And are you like, okay, I think I read something that you don't necessarily like set the table and have like a whole thing, but are you, you know, what do you like? Never have I ever. Paper towels or yeah. napkins? I'm a paper towel queen. Okay. Um, I love, I, we were joking on set of Nothing Fancy that I was going to get a huge sponsorship from Bounty. You guys have those out here? Um, no, because, yeah, with paper kitchen, towels. Kitchen roll. Yeah, kitchen roll. Yeah, yeah. same. Um, <laughs> and I actually, like, use them in nothing fancy. Like, they appear a few times. And, like, paper plates and the things that I actually use because that's what I actually use. But Amazing. I'm, like, more of a place the stack of plates on a vestibule or credenza or whatever fancy furniture piece you have. Um, set, like, a jar of forks and spoons yeah. and kind of let Help people yourself. do their own thing. And shoes on or shoes off? So I'm so bad at this. I, when I moved into my apartment about two years ago, I was like, this is the shoes off apartment. Now this is the time I will do it for real. And for the most part, when I'm having people over, they honor that. Uh, yeah. Um, but I use my home for photo shoots constantly and no one ever abides that. And yeah. I, and I get that if you're working, if you're working, some people, it's hard. It's a lot to ask. Yeah. But yeah. I yeah. wish I was a shoes off household. How about that? <laughs> Amazing. Um, and like if someone's coming over, what is like okay to ask them to get on the way over? Like for the dinner, an ingredient or aside from wine, because I feel like it's always wine or ice. At least one person in the room knows the answer to this. Um, <laughs> it's, it's A, whatever it is that you need. Because you're inviting people into your home. And if you need a bag of ice, then they should be able to bring you a bag of ice. But what if it's like saffron? Oh, no, 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 no. You have to manage expectations. Like, I, I, and again, like, I have friends, one friend in particular who's extremely bad at all things food-related, loves to eat, like, does not know the difference between anything. I asked him to get me a bunch of parsley, and he literally came to the house with four bunches of parsley because he thought I meant a lot of it, like a bunch of parsley. And I was like, wow, you can really never over-explain, can you? Um, which is also a lesson you learn when you're writing cookbooks where you're like, oh, yeah. you can interpret that a lot of ways, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I feel like anything you need within reason, I feel like if you can find it at a bodega. Okay. Corner shop. Yeah, corner shop. <laughs> Thank you for translating. <laughs> I'm, I'm here all night. Um, so on Sunday, you popped over to my house, which was so nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had like had this kid's party all day. Uh, <laughs> and there was like a few bits left of cheese and crackers and stuff that were safe enough to serve to the next guest that yeah. came by. Um, but, and you brought a lovely bottle of wine. 
and we had the wine and then before you left you I like before I like turned around and you were washing all the glasses I did and I and I'm like oh my god don't do the dishes like yeah. you can't do the dishes but and you, like also but mainly because people don't wash dishes very well sometimes no they don't did <laughs> I do you, a bad job like is that you is this the time you tell me I didn't do they were like job? sparkling clean. Oh, but I'm sort of curious if you like when you have people over do you want them to muck in and help or do you want to sort of for me it's like the comfortability level with people and if we don't know each other very well I'm definitely going to be like oh no 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 I could never possibly and usher you out the door (laughs) but if we're like really good friends we're like get your ass in the kitchen and absolutely finish those dishes I cooked for you all night so I feel like there is a sort of the closer you are to me the harder you're going to work so don't get too close Uh, (laughs) but similarly like I feel like that is the least somebody can do. It was yeah. just a wine glass that we had drank out of. It didn't, I wasn't like up to, I didn't put on the gloves or anything. No. Like it's a nice simple act it's that makes nice somebody's act. life easier when you leave. And I feel like everyone should at least offer. But the thing about offering is that you leave the, you leave room for them to tell you not to. And then there's a discourse and it's like, no, I couldn't. Okay, well, no. if you just mm. do it, then they're just pleased. And I think that's like a small, simple act and it takes two minutes and yeah. you know, it's a nice thing to do. It was noticed. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, did your parents throw dinner parties or um, over for cook, like cook for friends? Yeah, my mom definitely did. So, my parents were separated, and like my dad, re- <laughs> and then my dad remarried. This is like turning therapy. Um, <laughs> and and they definitely it was more of like a household. I like, had a brother and a sister, and you know that. <laughs> and my mom was sort of like the wild parent, and definitely entertained more and had people over. And she was really big on the apple doesn't fall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's a. <laughs> Um, and, and so it was either, you know, Friday or Saturday night and she would have four to six people over and we would sit around the table and she never made me sit at another table or go in the other room or I was always included. Um, or it was like an 80 person party in our house or something. And, um, that was sort of when I got started cooking, I guess, at a young age. Cause she would be like, you're you know, around it. Yeah, I'm around it. She included me mm-hmm. in the tasks. It was the same thing of, you know, what can I do? How can I help? But it was because I wanted to spend time with my mom, right? I think, you know, you have a, a daughter. I feel like it's probably similar. Like, totally. They just want to do something so you find a task that they can actually help you with. Yeah. So I would take the stems off a button mushroom so she could fill it with sausage, which was like a actually delicious but weird snack. <laughs> um, or take the casing off a sausage or, you know, pick the coriander for a toast or something Francis like that. Francis picks herbs a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really cute. Small hands, you know. Yeah, like a, exactly. um, Perfect. But I think that, you know, being invited and seeing how fun it was and again, like being allowed to participate in that party, it's like a really energetic environment and you kind of become addicted to that. Yeah, I think it's an amazing learning environment for young people mm-hmm. too, to like be around that. I mean, they're just observing all this craziness, but yeah. also a lot of, you know, yeah. it's how to socialize. Yeah, you do the hard work, you do the work part and then yeah. people come over and everybody has a great time and, yeah. you know, cute. Uh, okay, so we both worked at Quince yeah. at different times in San Francisco. This is a restaurant in San Francisco run by Mike Tusk, who um, used to work at Chez Panisse. And he was at Chez Panisse when I was, when I was there. He, he had left, but he came back to do like a couple of months. Like before Quince opened <laughs> or something? Just before Quince opened, yeah. So um, I think that's like a trend. Like a lot of people that work in a restaurant for years, they leave, they do a few things, and they're going to open their own place, and they kind of come back for a minute before they... To kind of like get back in the saddle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, and he sort of wanted to poach me from Shay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really thought about it because I really love his food. I think he's amazing. He's got three restaurants now in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went and kind of helped him out. I wasn't ready to leave Shay. I felt like my time there wasn't over, but I went and helped him out for a little while while he was opening. And then 
not long after I think you came in and, and you were pastry. Yeah, so chef. weird. Isn't that so weird? It's so weird. Yeah, we have a lot of weird things like that. Yeah. But um <laughs> but so I wanna hear about your sort of time as a pastry chef and the like sort of how you went from pastry chef to um to really like having these like crazy viral recipes and <laughs> <laughs> and a book and, and also working at Bon Appetit, which is um, a huge magazine in the U.S. I don't know if everybody knows it here, um, but yes, an awesome food magazine. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Um. Well, so I I basically got a start at a, in a pastry kitchen because it was the only position available. I didn't necessarily want to work in pastry. I didn't go to culinary school. I had no background. I just wanted to cook in a professional kitchen. That was sort of like the, the end goal. And they're like, well, we don't have any positions open, but we do have a position in pastry. And I was like, great, I'll take it. I didn't, I wasn't like, that's not what I want, or I don't know how to do that. I was like, sure, sign me up. Um, like this blind enthusiasm for something I had never done before. Um, and at the onset was really, truly terrible at, but I loved it. So I kept coming back. Um, and from then after a year and a half in that first restaurant I worked in, I sort of had a, a base layer of of, of a skill set so I didn't want to jump ship and start savory because I had already like gotten in on pastry but yeah. also what I liked about pastry is that it felt less competitive to me yeah, it felt like it sure. you kind of like carve out a niche for yourself and the chefs that I had learned from really approached pastry and desserts from a very like savory perspective in that dessert should be seasoned with salt there should be acid from lemon you should use vinegar you should use pepper you should use savory ingredients Absolutely. things should be like have texture and be fresh yeah. and you know it wasn't just like cookie cutter <laughs> no pun intended um like dessert old school yeah, mentality I, I totally yeah I mean like what I say in my um in my cookbook too like that you should approach baking that way because it's like if you're making a tomato sauce you would like taste it as mm -hmm. you go and you would think it needs a little bit more salt or yeah. it needs a little bit of pinch of sugar and that baking should be the same yeah. have and you ever baked yeah. anything without eating the raw dough never. or batter I mean never. Like, never. never never I'm like raw eggs <laughs> Oh, do not care. We're still alive. Uh, yeah. If we can do it, so can you. Absolutely. But yeah, and but in all those kitchens, they were small kitchens, and mm. in Quince, very small kitchen, and mm. so at the first location, the pastry yeah, department's on the was, same yeah. level as like where they butcher all the animals and they make the hand the pastas and all that stuff. So in each kitchen I worked in, I was very close to all the savory cooks, and it was you know totally. you see what's going on. There's and I some was, weird thing about that. Like I was working at a restaurant here when I first moved here, doing pastry, and my other job was to make steak tartare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like garmage and pastry, or like yeah. pasta and pastry. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but I think that that was sort of how that transition happened because eventually I was like, okay, pastry can only take me so far because I have an interest in cooking generally, mm -hmm. but had been around it so much that it was easy to sort of by osmosis pick up on. And then you moved to New York. From San Francisco, I moved to New York. Yeah, I was supposed to move for three months. Um, just to like see what was up because I was like I'm from California I'm gonna die in California it's the best state in the country why would I live anywhere else and I moved to New York for, I said that too yeah <laughs> for about a month and was like well I might as well just do it full-time for like a year just because I'm already here and that was 10 years ago so so you go to New York and you I mean how do you land a job at Bon Appetit though it's like such an amazing place yeah it was I mean this was a thousand years ago this was um right at, well so I got to New York and I started working for Momofuku Milk Bar. They had just opened and it was sort of like this really new exciting bakery. Um, this was again 10 years ago and really small staff. Like There were like eight people in the kitchen, all women. I'd never worked with all women before. That was really cool and exciting and I never worked for like a kitchen ran by a woman. Mm. Um, and Christina it, Tosi. Yeah and it was this real like sort of 
the sorority I never had because I dropped out of college <laughs> and would, probably wouldn't have. We went to the same college. Okay. I know we did. Right, so uh, but probably so uh, probably wouldn't have joined the sorority even if that had been available to me. Um, yeah, no but way. it was sort of like a very exciting, fun time. And, and I had come from all this fine dining restaurant experience. And so to just be like, oh, we're baking cookies, cakes, and pies. This is so fun. It felt like a vacation for me. And I was just going to take a part-time job there, but it turned into a full-time job. Anyway, a year and a half later, I left because I was like, I didn't move to New York to keep working in restaurants. I moved to focus on something else involving food. Um, I'd been in restaurants six or seven years at this point, and somebody was like, oh, a friend of mine is the food editor at Bon Appetit, because they had just relaunched, and Adam Rappaport took over, and it was like, they closed Gourmet, and then decided to keep Bon Appetit alive. An interesting choice. Um, Which shocked everybody at the time. I think it was really the smart thing to do. Shocking. It was like, it <laughs> the, took the food shocking. media by storm. Um, we're still shook. Uh, but it was, and it's I. Kind of like when Trump got elected. Yeah. <laughs> don't, please. I, some of us live there. <laughs> it's very upsetting. Um, anyway. Uh, so I went in for an interview and they were like, the food editor was like, oh, you have like a pretty good resume. You worked at all these restaurants. Do you have any experience testing recipes? And I was like, yeah. Absolutely. So you lied. So lied. <laughs> lied so hard. Um, but I was like, well, if I'm bad at it, I'll, they'll know pretty soon. And so <laughs> they let me kind of stay. I was a freelancer there for a year and um, ended up get, becoming a staff. And then as I started developing recipes and testing them, then I started writing more. And so at the end of the time I was there for four years, I was doing like everything that they could offer. While you were writing recipes for the magazine. Mm -hmm. Were you, was that when you were like, I want to do this for me? Or was that sort of like an afterthought? Or was there sort of this like yeah, compulsion? Within? I think that with anyone that? who like works in another kitchen and you're like, mm -hmm. I could work for you for the rest of my life or I could open my own thing. Yeah. You know, I feel like you either have that or you don't. And I don't think that there's a right or wrong way because the, the world needs both types of people. I think you and I are the same type of person <laughs> yeah. where we're like, we want to do it on our own terms for ourselves. And even if that means it's harder and you have less support and it's going to be like a steeper climb. But yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's totally worth it. And about four years into me being at Bon Appetit, I was like, well, if I stay here, I'll be Allison from Bon Appetit forever. And every recipe I ever write is going to have their name on it. And they're going to get to art direct the photos and food style the images and decide the editorial content that goes behind them. And no one will ever really, no one will know the real me. Like, oh God, if the world didn't know the real me, what would happen? Um, literally nothing. No one would care. <laughs> but I was like, well, I'm, I think that I can do this and I have a lot to say. And I realized that, I mean, that was a really tough decision for me to leave because it was a great job. But Yeah, it's a leap of faith. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm still like, uh, what if it doesn't work <laughs> I think out? you're okay. <laughs> I think you're um, officially okay yeah, on that front. Maybe. <laughs> I'll come work for you if it doesn't work out. <laughs> so there are any like, um, now that you're famous, <laughs> are there any like labels that you get that annoy you? Like with sort of in the media, um, for example, I'm often, was often referred to as like the cupcake queen when I first started, yeah, you know, getting press. That's all I'm calling you now. Yeah, it's horrible. But, it, but mostly because I felt like I did so much more than make cupcakes, even though I've served cupcakes to, yeah. you, to you all tonight. <laughs> um, because I love cupcakes, but I also felt like my business was so much more than that. And, and yeah. so I'm curious if you have a bit of that. Yeah, I think that like within our own industries, it's or funny. being like, misunderstood. Yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, you're famous now. It's like, well, I'm famous among like age, people ages 24 to 40 who like food that live in major <laughs> metropolitan areas. Like, yes, I, that is my demo. But like m most people in the world still don't know who I am, which is fine. But I think that when you don't and you come into the 
the scene, you're like, oh yeah, the Instagram girl or like the viral recipe person or like whatever. And you kind of get reduced to the one, uh, you know, sentence that people would use to describe you. But the interesting thing about the recipe thing and like having a recipe become successful is that then people just know the recipe and they don't even know you. They're yeah. like, they, they know about these dishes without knowing who created them, which they're is like, fine. like, she's the chocolate shortbread girl. Yeah, they're like, oh, you made the chocolate chip cookie. I'm like, it's a shortbread. Chocolate chip. Um, <laughs> yeah, I get very protective. Um, but yeah, I think when people call, someone, someone called, well, more than one person has been like, oh, you're an influencer. And I'm like, it makes me want to <laughs> take a hot shower. And like, uh, yeah, I just, it makes me feel so dirty because I don't, I don't, I'm not successful on social media because that's something that I've striven, like, strove for. But I feel like it's just a product of being in the industry and people like wanting recipe content. But okay, so you obviously have like a lot of integrity, but you also <laughs> I try. <laughs> I think no, that's why I the influencer thing bothers me. Exactly. But then but then it is also quite cool to have a lot of influence because yeah. then you can have your own business and yes. work for you and one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that there's two sides of that. And when I hear the word influencer now, I think of a person who doesn't really have a job, who, like, makes people take pictures of themselves in front of, like, a spray-painted wall. And, like, not a person who's worked super hard for 15 years to, like, develop their own career and, like, put in yeah. the work and develop a skill that is marketable. And, you know, I think when the bubble bursts and people that are into food that are just into eating and taking pictures of the food they're eating yeah. and people start to realize that there's a saturation of that, like, the people that will be left are the people that actually cook. And I'm very happy to be in that camp. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. I don't know which one I'll be in at this yeah. point. <laughs> you're in all, you're definitely not taking pictures anymore, though. I yeah, I'm always taking, yes, I take selfies all the time yeah. and <laughs> I take pictures of my food. No, but being um, a business owner, no, it's I'm interesting joking. because yeah. I think you're right to that point. The more successful you become, especially someone like in your position, yeah. you the, actually the less food you're making. Absolutely. I mean, it, um, it petrifies me to think of having to be on the line again. Yeah. <laughs> again. Like, put Claire back there. She'll be fine. Yeah. No, I mean, no, I'm joking. I love to, I love to cook. <laughs> put me in any, on the line anytime. <laughs> um, okay. So what was I going to ask you next? Um, so labels hate. Um, uh, ask me something. I'm oh. kidding. <laughs> what label do you, oh, Cupcake Queen. Yeah, yeah you yeah, hate yeah. that. No. Um, so you say, oh, one thing I read in your uh, first cookbook, I think it was, was that you have a funny relationship with desserts. Mm. And I was just, <laughs> what is that? What do you mean? Like, yeah, we, I don't like desserts that much. Yeah. Um, but I think you can relate to that. And I think that having like a lunch today, we didn't even eat our dessert. Well, we liked, all we did was like, Criticize it. It. we're like, this is too much that and not enough that. And blah, blah, blah. I actually and we ate like half ordering of it, desserts and then just talking about how much I don't like. Yeah, them. it's good to go, go in with, you know, an open mind. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I think that when you have when you're not just like recklessly in love with something, you can be a bit more critical about it. And I think that makes a better product. So for you, if you were just obsessed with all things sweets and anything you know yeah. anything would meet your standards then it the standards would probably be pretty low yeah. but if it takes a lot for something to be so delicious that even you a person who doesn't like dessert can be like that's really good yeah and I think that that's what makes I think the most interesting pastry chefs especially are probably people that don't actually have a sweet tooth because their standards are super high yeah for sure so if you like it then it's yeah yeah um so which do you prefer lunch or dinner Oh my God, if I could only eat lunch every day, that would be a dream for me. I want like a massive lunch and I want like snacks and 
you know, whatever. I want it to last like a thousand years. Yeah. Um, I want it to start <laughs> at like 1230 and end at 330. And then for dinner, I want like a glass of wine and popcorn and like a tin of fish <laughs> and like a yeah. whatever. Like I want to taper off. Yeah. Yeah. I want to yeah, start same. light build to like a, just an ins- real insanity and then taper <laughs> off at the end <laughs> um or an early dinner like i, I lo- love a yeah. five thirty dinner Ooh, yeah. do i love a five thirty dinner we, I, yeah love a five thirty so dinner slash sunday lunch yes yeah, so, yeah claire invited me to sunday lunch this weekend and i was like great lunch we'll i'll plan you know i'll block off the time from you know 12 to 2 and we'll figure it out <laughs> and she's like no sunday lunch is dinner it's a roast it's a I'm like well what the hell is that like that doesn't make any sense to me so I probably have it mixed up as well because I'm like you know hybrid Londoner um okay and like what about when you're cooking do you play music or podcasts or always yeah it depends I feel like if if um if I'm feeling like in the morning I start with a podcast I start with the daily which is just like a news program yeah um yeah but then from then I do music and you switch it up I do switch it up. I'm like, I'm getting more into albums as I cook, especially if I'm alone. Um, A, because I'm cooking and I don't want to be like DJing on my phone. (laughs) I'm like DJing. Turntables in my kitchen. No, um, like I don't want to be fussing with that. And if the wrong song comes on, it's like game over. So I I feel like you got to pick an album that you know you can commit to. Any you can recommend at the moment? Um, I really love the new Kindness album, which is great. Um, Getting some nods in the audience. It's honestly a great album. Um, And this woman named Claro which is really great. And Lana Del Rey, which I noticed you were listening to earlier. Very moody, but like a fun evening cook. Yeah, Yeah. she's great. Uh, Okay, and uh, one thing about writing a book is that it's there forever. Yeah, it (laughs) is there forever. Yeah, so are there any things in either of your books, I was thinking more the first one, but where you're like, I can't believe I wrote that. It was like, you're so, you have so much conviction about like some point that you're making and then kind of later on you're like, that's like kind of like embarrassing or yeah there's a few things for sure Mm. and uh, I think what I had to let go of for that exact reason because I had a really hard time committing to some of my own convictions even though I'm very opinionated and stand by most of them but the idea that something is sort of immortalized and it's like oh well then are you not allowed to change but I keep reminding myself that I I'm now starting to treat my idea of books and how I write them as like a time capsule and like a snapshot of where I am at this point in my life. And yeah. when I wrote nice. like dining in, I was ages this age to this age and nothing fancy this age to this age. So I think that it's just like, yeah, you're going to grow and you're going to evolve and you're going to change. And I may have completely different, a completely different attitude about having people over if and when I ever have a family. But for now, this is where I'm at in my life. And these are the things that I hold true. And so I'm going to write about them. Um, I think that any person who's going to create stuff for an extended period of time, which I hope to, should have the flexibility to change their mind and, and explain it if they need to. And dining in, I was like, I hate rice. Never will I eat rice. I hate yeah. it. It's the worst. I was and nothing fancy. I was like, I made a rice. It's just pretty good. Um, <laughs> and I, but I acknowledge the fact that I had previously said that I didn't like it. And, yeah. you know, it just felt like a good, I, I don't know. But what I think is really um, wonderful about you is that you are exactly like your your voice when you're writing and your voice on a podcast. And when <laughs> I hang out with you, you're so authentically you. Like it's I think that's quite unusual. Um, 
it's really nice. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I don't have a choice. Every time I try to be somebody else or a different version of myself, it is bad. Not that you would try. Either, <laughs> no, I have though, tried. But I think, oh. Well, like like when I <laughs> like when I first started writing, especially for magazines, yeah. I tried to write like a, a magazine, magazine writer. Voice, yeah. Which is well, what is that? I don't yeah. know. But it was bad, and my editor was like, "This is bad. Like your writing is bad." Yeah. And I was like, "That's so weird," because I think I'm a good writer, but like. Yeah, I guess that is very bad. And he was like, you have to just, he's like, just say it, write it how you say it, because what you're saying is funny and smart and makes sense, but this is a mess. Yeah. And so it took me a really long time to train myself to just let go of what I thought I should be writing like and just write how I But I, I think sound. that could also go really wrong. I mean, I think oh, yeah. sometimes if, you know, if it's too colloquial or too kind of, um, I don't know, trendy or cool, it could be a problem. Well, I have editors. Um, God bless editors. God bless editors. And um, if you read like the New York Times recipes and the columns, it definitely has a different tone and voice than my books where I felt like my books are the absolute most me I can be in a publication. Mm -hmm. And yes, I have an editor. And yes, sometimes she's like, that joke's not going to land. Or like people aren't going to get that. Or you sound like you're 12. And I'm like, cool. All right, I'll cut that. Um, And the Times, it's an even more, I think, rigorous standard of they let me be me, but I'm also writing for the Times. You're writing for a specific audience. Exactly. Yeah, and And you want them to hear you as well. Yeah, and they want to make sure that that I'm going to translate to all of their readers, Mm. not just my readers. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, okay, so my last question, movies, um, and I was wondering if you have a scene in a movie, a uh, food scene, that stands out to you as like the best food scene in a movie, any movie. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So full full disclosure, <laughs> you did ask me this question earlier, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to come up with a better answer than the first one that comes to mind because I feel like it's so cheesy. But it, I've been thinking, and it's still the only answer I have, which is <laughs> there is an iconic scene in Sleeping Beauty where Aurora, Princess <laughs> Aurora is making a cake with her fairy godmothers, and I swear to God, it like they're is actually making it for her just because like I watch it all oh the my God, time. You're right. I have a three year old. You're right. But <laughs> yeah. And then the anyway, yes, it's she a, comes in. She does come in at one point, right? I, I should rewatch. So. Um, I'm like, it's burned into my brain. I forgot the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but there's like a sound that none of them have baked before, but they're like, we should make her a cake. They're not allowed to use magic. Yeah, they're not allowed to use magic. And for three fairies, you can imagine how that went. No, <laughs> watch what happens next. And so they're like cracking like whole eggs in the thing and like mixing with the broom handle. Or, yeah, it's and great. Anyway, eventually they do start to use magic and it goes haywire. <laughs> You'll have to watch it. Um, but anyway, no, the, the sounds of the batter mixing, and it's, it's, it's a cartoon, so nothing about it is, like, real. But to me, it is just, I don't know, it made me feel a lot of things. And I'm still thinking about it, apparently, <laughs> even though I can barely remember it. I think it's probably better that way. That's great. Thank yeah. you, Allison, so much for doing this Violet Sessions podcast oh and for God. being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be back on your second round. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Of course. If you liked this podcast, you might also like our podcast with Ruthie Rogers of the River Cafe, who invited me into her beautiful home designed by her husband, Richard Rogers, to have a chat. We discussed how the idea of her renowned restaurant was conceived in a McDonald's and her activism against the Vietnam War. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our producer, Warren Borg of Worky Productions. <laughs>